Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. To say that I'm excited about this book is an understatement. I am really excited about this book. And the reason I'm really excited about this book, as we do really an introduction today, is that this is perhaps, as I've said, one of the most, if not the most, encouraging book found in the New Testament. It does two principal things, and I want to lay some of these things out for you this morning as we journey onward. We're just going to look at the first three verses. But the two things it does, first, is it lays out very, very, very carefully, uh, the most carefully and most condensed way in the entire Bible, what it really means to be a Christian. What is solid and sound doctrine is one way to do it. It does that in the first three chapters. Then the last three chapters, it changes from the position of doctrine to duty. What do we do with it? How do we act? Where do we go? And as we look at these first, especially the first three chapters, what we really are going to do is check our heavenly portfolio. And I don't know how many of you have any type of investment account, or maybe you get a retirement check or a statement of interest from the bank. But I'll just share with you when, you, when you look at those statements, on the top of the statement, it typically tells you, you know, it's Jeff's retirement account or whatever. It just has a name on it. And someplace up there, usually in one corner or the other, is the total value of the portfolio. And then on the page, it will have all kinds of things like transactions, how much money you put in, what did that money come from, where did it go to, what's it invested in. And then when you get down near the bottom, usually, there's the wonderful things called interest and dividends. Those are the good things that got added in there. They didn't have anything to do with you putting money in. It's what your money actually earned. And the reason I'm using this analogy is because it's very appropriate for the book of Ephesians. Because of what Father God has done in planning out and mapping out our salvation, you have a heavenly portfolio. You didn't have to make it yourself. It's, he's the portfolio manager. He's made all the investments for you. You are the recipients of all of the wonderful blessings that come from that portfolio. And it's not like the ones that you currently have that kind of go positive, 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 and then down at the bottom. It's negative because of our economy. This is a positive portfolio that grows in its value every day that you walk on this earth. And I want us to see this this way for this reason. A lot of Christians wander around in life as if they are poverty-stricken. No joy. Nothing's being done in their life that even indicates they're a child of God. Very little service, in other words. They, They believe they have to earn their relationship with God. They think that they have to earn their salvation. They wander around in this life, in essence, miserable because they don't understand their heavenly portfolio. They either look at it wrongly, or in some cases, they don't look at it at all. We're going to check out our heavenly portfolio. And we need to. We need to understand what God has done for us. And so this morning, we'll set the stage for it and do an introduction into this amazing book. Would you join me and let's pray. Father, as we acknowledge you as the source of all 
gifts, Lord, every good and perfect gift flows down from our Father of lights who is in heaven. Lord, that you want to bless us, that you want to stretch us, you want to grow us, you want to use us. Lord, you, you delight to give good gifts to your children. Lord, you love it when we gaze at the portfolio and we see the progress of our faith. And we pray, Lord, that as we spend time in your word this morning, that you would just fill us up with your spirit. Holy Spirit, come and inhabit your people in a fresh way. Help us to draw strength and joy from your word. Help us to be ignited unto service from your word. Help us to grow more in love with you this day because of your word. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. And all God's people said, Amen. Verse 1 here in Ephesians 1. We're going to look at just the first three verses and we'll take them all at once. And says, and I'm reading from the New Living. And says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. For I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. May our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace for all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because we are united in Christ. And so he begins by identifying a number of things that this morning as we look at this, it helps for us to kind of look back on Paul's life a little bit and look back on the way God has purposed for us to receive it. It's interesting that this church, and I want you to grasp this early on, this church is also the first church about whom the Lord Jesus in the book of Revelation in chapter 4 would write problematically. He says, you guys have lost your first love. You know what that tells me? You can have all the blessings, you can have the right instruction, and still miss the message. We don't want to do that. We not only want to know what we have in Christ, but we want to use what we have in Christ. We want to be blessed because we're in the Lord. We, we want to have these spiritual blessings. And so as we embark on this little journey over these next months, there is a danger in being biblically accurate. There is a danger in having your doctrine correct. There is a danger in attending a church that rightly teaches the word, and here's the danger. You can hear it and not do it. You can be instructed well. I can be instructed well and still not live it. Let us purpose in our hearts to not leave our first love. Amen? Because that's where the rubber meets the road. That's when it really matters, is when we actually live it. And so in order to live it, we need to know it. And so we're going to take a look at these blessings this morning. We are blessed. The church in Ephesus was blessed. We're blessed. Paul writes here, interestingly enough, in the longest sentence ever found in the Greek language. The first 14 verses here form the longest sentence ever found in the Greek language. Now, you and I would just call that a run-on sentence. But the bottom line is, it was so important to set the stage that he did not take a breath, in essence, 
in announcing a majority of these blessings in the first 14 verses. As you see what is written in your Bible in the first 14 verses, it's as if each thing is added to the other. He doesn't want to stop when it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of grace. That's all added together. He didn't take a breath. The commas aren't there in the Greek. He's saying this is so amazing that all I can do is put this all on you at once because it's monumental. It's gigantic. It would be the opening stanza of a song. It would be as if it were in in the Hebrew vein, uh, it would be called a berakah, which is which is a hymn of praise. Paul, remember, was a Hebrew. He was a member of the sect of the Pharisees, and so he knew well and learned well that he wanted to praise the Lord for the things that God was doing. And so these blessings come as a result of the full work of all three persons of the Godhead. It praises God. It gives uh, a absolute accounting to the work of Jesus Christ and to the power of the Holy Spirit. All three persons are involved in what's going on in your life, in what you receive as a Christian, because you are one of God's beloved kids, because you are saints. And because this is God's plan, it can't be overturned. We're going to look at this from a very wonderful perspective. We're going to see the sovereign plan of God, and we're going to see the responsibility that we have to respond to that plan, all played out here in the first three chapters. We're going to deal with some difficult subjects, I hope in a way that's not just meaningful, but is also relative and to some degree fun, because I think that a lot of Christians get hung up on words like, Oh, say election or predestination. We're going to look at those doctrines. But what they're going to do for you is they're going to make you realize, man, am I blessed. Because if the plans of God to save mankind didn't originate with God, what does that leave it? It makes it us, doesn't it? You ever met anybody perfect? I haven't. Sorry to say, haven't met a perfect human being yet. And so I'm really glad that this plan isn't man's plan. It's God's plan. And thereby, it can't be thwarted. It can be refused, but it can't be thwarted. It works for all who will call upon the name of the Lord. It's sufficient to save all who will. It's more than enough to save the worst of us and the best of us. Amen? It's because it's the blessing from God the Father. Notice where it comes from. It comes from Him. All praise belongs to God. He is the Father of Jesus Christ. It is only in that blessing of the Spirit's work in our life that we can even receive these things. And to be in Christ is really just simply... To, to be found in that plan. It's God's plan, and you're in it. You haven't rejected it. Now I can draw you back to our analogy of a portfolio. If I came to you and I said, I've got this tremendous investment that I'd like you to invest in, 
And the only thing you have to do is just say yes. Okay, that's your part. All you have to do is say yes. And it's going to make you a billionaire many, many, many times over. And and you have to do nothing but say yes to the plan. You don't need to put any money into it. You don't need to have any financial savvy. You don't need to have a home to mortgage or leverage. You don't have to do anything but say, you know what, Jeff? I believe that that plan is, is good, and I'm saying yes to the plan. And you become a shareholder in the plan. That's actually what happens to you in Christ Jesus. You don't have to invest anything in it yourself. Jesus paid the price in full. The investment's been made for you. And the investment portfolio is laid out by God the Father. So it's God the Father's plan. It is Jesus Christ the Son's purpose. He made it happen. And it is the Holy Spirit's power. Three Ps you can remember. God's plan, Jesus' purpose, the Holy Spirit's power. All you have to do to be a part of this amazing portfolio of investments is say, I'd like to be a part. And then once you're a part, you actually become part of all of that investment itself. It actually grows from you being a part of it. That's the duty part. So you say yes to the plan, you say thank you for the purpose, and you say yes to the power, and because of that, you become part of that whole thing. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're a part of the plan. Now to go tell other people about this scary thing, you and I would actually call that a pyramid scheme. The big guy comes up with the plan. There's a couple of people underneath him, and everybody else benefits underneath. But it actually works that way. To believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be saved. It's not to get really good and make yourself worthy. It's not to memorize Scripture. It isn't to go to church X number of times. It's not to memorize certain passages of Scripture, to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fullness of who he is, his birth, his death, his burial, his resurrection, to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very specific Jesus, don't miss that. You can't just believe on Jesus, okay? That doesn't work. And I'm not trying to be anything other than just silly right there. Okay? Jesus and Jesus are spelled the same, amen? Jesus is not Jesus. You need to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it says the Lord Jesus Christ. It gives him the mastery. It gives him the mission. And it is in your mind. Three M's. You have to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fullness of who he is. Virgin born, son of God. Amen? Came to this earth, lived a sinless life. Amen? See, there's something you believe. When you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not just Jesus. It's the one and only sinless Lamb of God. So it's not just going, Jesus, because there are people that believe that. You just ever say the name Jesus, ever in your life, you're automatically saved. Kind of silly. And it's not what Scripture says. To be in Christ is to be a part of that plan. It's to be invested in the portfolio. And so this, in essence, eulogy that's given, that's a, that's a time of praise for someone, isn't it? That's what we call it in English. 
It's actually what this is. It is it is a eulogy of God the Father. It's to say, man, wasn't God awesome in doing this? Written by the Apostle Paul of the tribe of Benjamin. He was originally known as Saul of Tarsus. Amen? Interestingly enough, Saul was the name of the first king of Israel. Amen? And so he, he is really can be linked all the way back to the very best that mankind can do. I love that about Paul. You can link him back to the very best of what mankind can kind of come up with. The Hebrew kings, the Pharisees. You look at his life. He was a Jew who was without guile. He practiced the law, kept the law as best as anyone humanly could. So if ever there was a guy who could have kind of maybe worked it out on his own, you would think it would have been a Hebrew of the tribe of Benjamin, the first king of Israel, who was a Pharisee. If anybody could do it, you would think he could. But he couldn't. Consequently, his run-in with the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus as he's going to kill Christians. Amen? So here's this... this Amazing Pharisee, circumcised on the eighth day, had it all going on. I mean, he was of the tribe of Benjamin, direct descendant of King Saul. All that entitled him to was some extra responsibility. It's interesting that once Paul changed his or Saul changed his name to Paul, his Roman, which would be his Roman name, by the way. Uh, in Acts chapter 13, from that time forward, which was the beginning of his ministry, Acts 9, he in essence gets saved. He spends some time in training with the Lord. In essence, we don't know exactly all of the details there. But by the time you get to chapter 13 of the book of Acts, Saul is never known as Saul again. He's known as Paul from there forward. It's an interesting thing. Because he, in essence, identifies himself away from his history. Isn't that how we're supposed to be? (laughs) Last thing in the world I want to be identified with is my old man. And I don't mean my dad. I mean the old me. The part of me that was Saul. The part of you that was Saul. Or Saul-ina. I don't know what the female (laughs) version. I'm not sure. But that part of you that was that old nature that was as good as you could get, that had all these maybe things that you thought you could hope and trust in, Paul says from here forward, I just want to be known as Paul. Whatever happened on the road to Damascus, that's what matters in my life now. Family of God, that's what matters in your life too and in mine. What happened in that conversion experience is the marking point of your life and mine as well. From that point forward, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Amen? You get the picture? You you see, we were aligned, in essence, with, we didn't even know it, maybe, the enemy. We were serving a false god. And we said yes to Jesus Christ. The plan of God the Father, the purpose of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We said yes to that. We became invested in this heavenly portfolio. And from that day forward, you get a new name. It's a saint. You're now a saint. You changed from the old dead and going to perish you to the new and very much alive eternally in heaven, with Christ Jesus, you. 
And so he goes on to say, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Would you just simply underline by the will of God? Nobody ever is used of the Lord apart from the will of God. Now, you can look like you're used of the Lord apart from the will of God, but however we get used in this life, it is supposed to be according to the will of God. In other words, God calls us. We don't call him. He has a plan that is perfect for our lives, and we say yes to that plan. God does the choosing, and we receive the choice is a good way to look at it. In other words, God looks at your life, and I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but I've had it happen a number of times, actually. Maybe some gift or some skill set or something's visible in your life, and somebody will come up and they will say, hey, I think you'd be really good at this, and they name something. You know, you like to build things, maybe you'd be a great contractor. You, you love, you know, law, you make a great lawyer. Maybe you have a wonderful mind. Maybe you have compassion, you make a great doctor. We, we could go on, you, you, you love children and you like to see them prosper, you'd make a great teacher. Now imagine that you're Father God in heaven. How much information do you think he has on each one of us? I would say all of it. Every bit of it. And so God, from heaven's perspective, knowing everything about you, start to finish, says this is what you've been called to do and be. He calls. You don't go to school to get a calling. You go to school if you have a calling. The calling comes from God. Paul was called to be an apostle. In other words, the phone call, and it's a good way to look at it, actually, from heaven, the phone call comes in, this is God, you're going to be an apostle. And you say, you know best, that's exactly what I'm going to be. It's God's plan. And when you do what God has asked of you, you find fulfillment in what God has planned. Because he's perfect in what he's planned. He's perfect in his understanding. He absolutely knows you and every detail about your life, start to finish. And so Paul was called to be an apostle. That means one sent on a commission, or one sent by commission, or one sent with a mission. You can look at it from any specific angle that you want to, and they're all roughly the same. In other words, God says, Paul, you're going to be an apostle. You're going to be called to minister to the Gentiles. And imagine Paul's dismay at that. But God, I'm a Pharisee. You see, we'd, we'd immediately begin whining. God, I've spent all this time being a super Jewish person. I am a Pharisee. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a direct descendant of Saul, the first king of Israel. What do you mean I'm going to go minister to the Gentiles? Because God's perspective from heaven is perfect, and ours from earth is not. And God was right, wasn't he? Look at what we, the Gentile church, have received from the Jewish apostle Paul. This incredible way to relate to us that could only be done, really, from the position of someone who had everything as a Jew. If Paul hadn't had all that experience, you would not have the depth of his writings in the New Testament. They wouldn't be the same. 
Because what he had in balance was how the law didn't work. Book of Galatians, amen? How we must be saved by grace and justified in faith. Book of Romans, amen? You get the picture? You see, he had been on the other side of the coin. And so rather than be this guy with all this Hebrew knowledge ministering to Hebrews, God takes him out of his comfort zone and says, I want you to minister to the Gentiles, because what will happen is as they grow, they're going to want to become like Jews. They're going to want to become more in tune with their roots. They're going to want to get more knowledge. They're going to get more organized. And so the Apostle Paul makes it simply about grace. Amen? How beautiful is that picture from someone who believed originally it was by the law, the keeping of the law, being perfect as much as you possibly could. And I I believe that Paul is the best case that we have, clear-cut, that someone is absolutely is not uh, choosing God, but God has chosen them for a very specific purpose. Now he goes on to say to the saints at Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And I want to spend just a couple of moments just looking at that word saints. It simply means ones set apart. That's all it means. There was a young lady who was in a very beautiful church. And again, I want to be very careful here. I am not demeaning anybody in the body of Christ at this point in time. But there is there is a place that I think we can speak to this issue. I grew up in a church that had lots of stained glass in it. Some churches have a lot more stained glass in them, and many churches have stained glass, and in those stained glass panes are often what we like to call saints. And that little girl was asked a question. What do you think saints are? You know what her reply was? People through whom the light shines. How beautiful is that and how true is that? Because it wasn't just Peter and Paul. It certainly isn't as the Catholic Church currently has some place in a neighborhood of maybe 10,000 official saints. It's not just... St. Francis of Assisi, or like for me, St. Christopher, the traveler saint that protected all surfers. And again, I'm not mocking in any way, shape, or form. I'm just simply saying saints are ones who are set apart. And that's every last one of you that's here this morning who loves the Lord. You are saints. There's no process whereby you're turned into one apart from believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the biblical qualification to be a saint. And you guys are saints. We have St. Connie of Fort Worth. I am St. Jeff of Escondido. I know it sounds weird, but that's the case. You guys are all saints. And notice what it says. The faithful in Christ Jesus. That's the qualification. That you be faithful in Christ. You're just somebody like that little girl said, through whom the light shines. Amen? You're salt. You're light. You simply reflect Jesus. And oh, how we need to do that. Because if we stop reflecting Jesus... If the light doesn't shine through us, then the whole second half of this book really doesn't mean much. Because we need to reflect Jesus. 
People need to know that Jesus loves them, that Jesus died for them, that God the Father has always, always we're going to see, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan to redeem mankind. So I've shared with you so many times, God didn't wake up and Adam and Eve are in the garden. He's going, no, get away from the tree. Don't go over there. What are you doing? Are you silly? God was not taken by surprise. It didn't, you know, when Adam and Eve were at the, at the tree, God wasn't going, now what do I do? Before the foundation of the world, God had a plan to redeem us. Before Eve ever bit, before Adam ever followed, before any of that ever happened, God had a plan in time past to redeem sinful man. He chose us. And anybody who's willing to accept that choice can be one of his kids, one of his saints. Not that hard. It'll change your life, but it's as simple as saying yes to Jesus. Paul visits this city a number of times, and you can simply go to Acts 18, 19, 20 if you want to read a little of the historical part of it. You can grab the CDs that we've already done here recently on the book of Acts and and realize that uh, Ephesus wasn't an easy place to minister. But the church was strong. Can I draw your attention to that? The United States isn't an easy place to minister. Your home probably isn't an easy place to minister. There are things that are difficult about living life uh, here in our Western world. You know, people very often will make the the case that it's difficult to be a, a Christian in India. That is very true. But it's also difficult to be a Christian in like Arrowhead. It's difficult to be a Christian in Running Springs. It's difficult to be a Christian in America. Those difficulties are not the same difficulties, but it has always been difficult to be light in a dark place. Amen? That's why it's important that you're called to the place that you're going to be light in. Because if you go someplace that you're not called to, you're going to get beat up, spit on, chewed up, and spit out and have very little effect. You need to make sure that God's called you to where you're going to be. And we're going to address this as we continue this study. Because if you just simply go, doesn't necessarily mean you've been called. You can see great need and not be called. And you can get into great trouble by trying to meet a great need without a great calling. You need to make sure you're called. Paul was called, and he was called to a difficult place. And so as he visited Ephesus on his second and then stayed there for about three years on his third missionary journey, uh, this is the first of his prison epistles. So Paul writes this letter while he's awaiting his, his, in essence, what will ultimately be his demise in Rome. He's waiting his trial in Rome, and he writes this letter to this church where he's visited, and then he spent almost three years ministering to them, and he now writes back to this church. And basically he says, guys, just be faithful in Christ Jesus. If you don't remember much, 
If you don't remember much, simply be faithful in Christ Jesus. If you're faithful to Christ, you're going to be okay. You can, you can get caught up in doing a lot of other peripheral things that will leave you less than faithful to Christ. I think that's sometimes how we get caught up in some of the social things that we do. And again, I'm not saying that I'm against those things and no one should be against them. But I'm saying you can not be faithful in Christ and be very faithful in a lot of what seemingly are good things. We need to be faithful in Christ. That means that he gets the glory. It's his plan. What we do, we do for him. It's not just some job that we undertake. It is faithfulness to Christ that ultimately gives us value for the kingdom. Because the Lord should get the glory. If the Lord doesn't get the glory for our Bread of Life food ministry, then all we've done is feed hungry people. Okay, That's a good thing. Don't get me wrong here. That's a good thing, but it would have no eternal value. People are starving and going hungry every single day. What we want them to do is be fed the bread of life. Amen? You see, the picture is, is we need to be faithful in Christ. That's why when you give that person that's standing on the street corner $5, you need to tell them it's from Jesus. You need to remind them that God in heaven loves them, that he has a plan for their life. These are simple things. They're being faithful in Christ. Your home should be a home that says, I'm faithful to Christ. Your parenting should be faithful to Christ. Your employment, faithful to Christ. Your ministry in the church, faithful to Christ. Not faithful to Jeff, not faithful to Calvary Chapel, not faithful to any denomination, faithful in Christ. And if so, then all of the other little subtleties will take their proper place. But we must be faithful in Christ if we want to receive the blessings. Because those blessings come from, they emanate from, they are because of God's plan. Amen? They're not just a church plan. Now, we have plans here at this church. We have leadership here in this church. But the plans have to come from God. Amen? If they don't come from God, then we're spinning our wheels. I've embarked on a few spin-the-wheel plans. Amen? You can say amen. Like trying to get you to be here by doing announcements at the beginning. It, it was That was my flesh, I guess. That's all I can attribute it to. Didn't work. So as I always tell people, if it doesn't work, blame me. If it works, give it to God. Faithful to Christ, amen? Any good thing came from him. If it's a mess, likely it was me. Faithful in Christ. And he goes on to say, grace to you and peace from our God, Father, the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you, you see the word grace, again, it's financial. It means unearned dividends. You can write that in your margin. Unearned dividends. Wasn't your plan. Wasn't your initial investment. It's not your computer that keeps the whole thing running. You got zip nada to do with it. You get unearned dividends. That's what grace is. It means unmerited favor. It means unmerited kindness. It means unmerited blessing. In other words, you do nothing and you get rich anyway. That's your portfolio in Christ. God the Father says, these guys are going to be paupers unless I do something. 
God the Son says, I'm willing to take your plan, Father, and follow it through so that they can reap it. And the Holy Spirit comes along and says, you know what? I'll be the vehicle of transmission to make sure that they get it. All three pieces of the Godhead involved in blessing you. Take any one of them out, doesn't work. If God doesn't have the plan, the Son can't implement it. If the Son doesn't implement it, the Holy Spirit can empower it. And you can take any combination of those things, put them together. You must have all three pieces of the Godhead at work to make it happen. So from times past the plan, from time in the future when Jesus came to the earth and died on Calvary's cross, that was implemented, and now the Holy Spirit keeps the whole thing moving. You see, our investment portfolio would would fall apart if there wasn't a way to transmit it to the next generation. Amen? It's called the work of the Holy Spirit. Happens in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. You now go out and you're, in essence, offering the portfolio to other people. You say, I have a plan that came from God to make sure that you are blessed eternally. Notice these are not monetary blessings. I want to make that very clear. This is not you're going to get healthy, wealthy, and wise. None of you will have a Beamer parked out in the parking lot that you didn't drive here. That's not what we're talking about. Your cubic zirconia will not turn into diamonds as you walk out the door. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about blessings, eternal blessings from God the Father that put you in the place of grace. And you know what? You can have everything on this earth and not have the grace of God. And you are dead, just as we'll see in chapter 2 in your trespasses and sins. You're a walking dead person. You may think you've got it going on, but you are a walking dead person. So we need to have someone who can manage our account better than we could ourselves. Amen? That's why we need grace. I need grace. I don't have grace. I'd mess it up. And I can prove this to you in a little small way. You see, most of us have had some experience in those types of things, whether it's maybe, if you have a savings account at First Mountain Bank right now, what are you getting, Point zero 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 one two seven percent or something? Like it's, it, it's so small that if you put $10,000 in there, I think you get like 4 bucks a year or something. I mean, it's, it's insane how bad it is. Do you realize that I could mess that up? Because if you pull your money out on the wrong day, it will not compound interest. So you can put the 10000 in there. Maybe you pull it out on the wrong day and you kind of you just check it out, make sure it still looks like $10,000. You put it back in, you're going to get zero interest, even though you would have gotten something by doing, guess what, nothing. That's man and works. We can figure out how to mess up a good thing. Amen? We really can. It's why it needs to be God that does it, and they need to be unearned. Dividends. It's God's kindness alone. If you don't remember anything from today but this, it's God's kindness alone. God looks down from heaven. He says, I love you. In spite of you, in spite of me, no matter who you are, where you've come from, no matter what you've done. And people are paralyzed by their past. But God looks down from heaven and says, I love you, completely unmerited. To the world, you are worthless, and so am I. Maybe you're in the top 1%. Maybe you're here today, and you're in the top 1%. And the rest of us 99%ers are envious. But can I tell you this? When we all take our last breath, 
Without Christ, we're all lost. But with Christ, we're all saved. And so whether you were in the 1% here on earth, or you're at the bottom of the 99%, in Christ, you're blessed in the heavenlies. You have an equal share in the portfolio of heaven. You will be there with the Lord. And nothing, nothing about it lies with you beyond receiving the portfolio. Saying, yep, I'm in. Believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's why Jesus could say, peace. Those unearned dividends give you peace. Man, if you've got a portfolio right now, you're just freaking out. You're like, you check it every day and you go, well, I need to move that around because that was good yesterday. It's bad tomorrow. That's the world's peace. The world's peace is work. Amen? God's peace is grace. That's why Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. Not peace as the world gives do I give to you. I give you my peace. It's different. It's a different kind. It comes from a different place. And we just receive it. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid, Jesus would say. Trust me, the investment's good. And it will always pay the dividend offered. Now at the bottom of every portfolio, it usually has something that says something like this. Past returns are no promise of future dividends. You know, that's another way of saying, sucker. (laughs) But you can invest and maybe last year you got 12%. What they're really saying is, may not happen this year. You talk about uncertainty. Your heavenly investment portfolio doesn't do that. Same return, second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, into eternity. Same dividends paid. Heaven. That same promise. And it's not dependent on how lousy an investor you are. Because you know what? We're going to blow it occasionally. Amen? We're going to go make a withdrawal when we shouldn't. We're going to say something we shouldn't. We're going to do something we shouldn't. We're going to misrepresent the Lord. We're going to flat out sin. Amen? Aren't you glad that God doesn't kick you out of the investment portfolio because of what you do? Because if he did, wouldn't be one of us left in it. Seriously. Not one person would ever see heaven. Because we'd all figure out a way to mess it up. You'd get your statement. You'd be looking at it. Well, I'll just make this little investment over here. And you'd be out. We need to realize that that investment's been made for us. And it's going to pay the promised dividend. That blessing comes from uh, FSHS, Inc. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Inc. That's the ticker symbol, okay? Look for it. F-S-H-S. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Inc. You're invested in it as a child of God. It's also an LLC, by the way. That would be a a Lord's Love Corporation. It's guaranteed. It will give the promised dividend. You don't have to worry about it. We're simply recipients. And in the heavenly places, we will receive those things. That phrase is used five times in this, in this 
little tiny letter. And I'm telling you, that's where you want to be blessed. I remember back in the early 1980s when gold was still $27 an ounce. 27 bucks an ounce. And if those of you who have been around a while, you remember it shot up to about, I think, $852 an ounce in like three years. And people are, oh, man, sell your house, sell your car, sell your kids, do whatever you can, buy gold. And I know people that did that. They sold their kids. No, not, not their kids. They, their car, car, car. But they sold, they sold their possessions. They went out and they bought gold. I mean, every kind of gold you can think of. There was a guy in Fallbrook that was, well, actually he's now passed away, but he, he actually started that gold program where they go around prospect everywhere. But he actually lived there. And, 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 and you know, all these people walking, yeah. And I knew a guy that actually carried around a briefcase with gold in it. And he'd like, he's carrying around his, every place he'd go, he'd set it beside his table. And then one day I saw him, he actually had a, one of those presidential wrist chain things with the handcuff on it. It's just like, now this is crazy. I'm even thinking then this is crazy. But I remember when it dropped and it went back down to like $52 an ounce and it did that in like two or three months. I mean, it was insane. You couldn't give gold away. That's the world. The world promises returns, but doesn't produce. God promises returns and does produce 100% of the time. You'll never be disappointed. You'll always be blessed. And I pray that you just simply receive it. So as we study this amazing little book, we'll be taking a look at that portfolio that includes being blameless and holy and God's kids and having our sins taken away and and having our life redeemed and being marked by the Spirit that we're actually God's work of art or poetry. These are all blessings that came from God, and they're not dependent on you. They're dependent on Him. He loves you that much, and He wants to bless you. And if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus... You want to be invested in that portfolio. Because when you take your last breath, no other portfolio matters but that one. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're just so grateful. God, I'm grateful for the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. And Father God, we thank you that you knowing us, creating us, seeing us, watching us, came up with that plan before we ever took our first breath. We thank you. It's that sure. It's locked up in heaven. That if we simply call upon the name of the Lord, we'll be saved. Lord, most of us have done that this day. And we pray that you just take us into those heavenly places, Lord. Help us to look at that portfolio and just thank you each day for that salvation, that gift that's free that you brought us near by the blood of the Lamb, that you poured out your wrath on Jesus so that you would never have to pour it out on us. Lord, we are blessed. We are rich. And one day we're going to step from time into eternity and receive all of those blessings. And we can't wait. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask all of this in the blessed name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let's stand.